This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. I don't have to tell you that we have all been immersed for the last several weeks in coronavirus news and how it's been affecting America and the rest of the world almost ad nauseum. But what has it been like for the people who have actually caught COVID-19 and recovered from it? Well, one of those people is my next guest, Charles Billingsley. He's a singer, formerly with New Song and also a successful solo artist and now serves as the teaching pastor and worship leader at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. He's also an adjunct instructor at Liberty University. And now he can add to his resume, coronavirus survivor. And he is here today to tell us a little bit about what he has gone through and and what he has learned about the Lord in the process. Charles, it's great to have you here. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Janet, for having me on. I'm, I'm doing a whole lot better. Thank you very much. I'm glad. Usually that's a throwaway line. Hi, how are you? In your case, it's very yeah. concerned. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> yeah, that's a legitimate question these days for me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you, <laughs> you were diagnosed, as I understand it, back on April 1st. Can you take us back to mm-hmm. when you started having symptoms, what happened to you, how you knew you were sick, and kind of take us through what happened here? Sure. Um, well, actually, it was March 27th, my 26th wedding anniversary. We were at dinner with some friends, and and I started having a fever come on that night. And through the weekend, the fever was pretty consistent. And so Monday, I went to my doctor and just had him check me for the flu because I felt like I had the flu. And, um, you know, you can do a flu check pretty quick, and it came back negative in about 15 minutes. And so he said, well... Let me just for fun check you for COVID-19, but I I don't think you have it. Well, sure enough, two days later, it came back positive on April Fool's Day, of all things. I I, I actually thought he was kind of joking, but he he was serious. And, of course, uh, all the while, this fever would just not stop. In fact, um, for about nine days straight, I had a 103-degree temperature nonstop. And horrible aches and pains and, you know, just the normal stuff that you deal with. But the problem with this COVID-19 is that uh, after about eight eight or nine days, it's just getting started. Mm. And uh, it's not that way with everybody. But for some reason, and by the way, I was one of very few cases in my entire city or region. But for some reason, this thing decided to go pretty severe with me. And so after nine or 10 days straight of this fever, uh, it ended up going into my lungs and, and my doctor came over. Well, now by now it was like April 9th. He came over that afternoon and listened to my lungs and showed me my blood work test that he had taken a few days prior. And he said, look, this is some of the worst numbers I've ever seen on a blood test. Mm. And he said, and your lungs, uh, they sound horrible. And he said, so, I'm sorry, buddy, but you got to go to the hospital. And I said, when? And he said, right now. 
And that's when it kind of started taking a pretty serious turn and ended up in the hospital for two nights and three days. And, you know, it's just, uh, it was a long, 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 long process. But finally, after about 24 days, um, and there was a whole lot of other stuff that happened, you know, blood clots in my legs and all kinds of craziness. But after 24 days, um, I, I, my fever had subsided and I, I went back and got tested and came back negative. Um, but I, I'll tell you, that was the longest three and a half weeks of my life. Oh, I can imagine. Did you literally have a fever the entire 24 days? <clears throat> yeah, um, oh. except, for the, except for the last three days. Um, it finally started going away. And, and if you can go three days without a fever, then you can get tested. And it's a good sign that it's finally left you. The problem is, is that it leaves you with all kinds of residual stuff, like these these uh, blood clots in my capillaries that made it really difficult to walk for about six days. Just some of the worst pain I've ever had in my legs. Oh, and wow. uh, of course, that makes it difficult to sleep and blah blah blah. Yeah. And then, of course, the double pneumonia in your lungs that I'm still still getting over, um, and probably will be for another several weeks um, makes it difficult to sing but uh, yes but hey you know what compared to where I was I'm I'm just so grateful that the Lord brought me through this you know 98% of the people you know half of them don't even know they have it right right for some reason this thing hit me like a ton of bricks I haven't even had a cold in three years so I don't, I don't know why it hit me so hard, but boy, it did. Boy, it sure sounds like it. Do you have any idea where you might have picked it up? You mentioned that there weren't a lot of people in your area who contracted COVID-19, <laughs> but do, do you know if there was any way you could have been exposed to it and, and been aware? Did you know of anybody who might have been exposed to it before mm. you came down with it? No, not at all. Um, we've evaluated that a lot, and you know, about a week before our anniversary, we were coming back from spring break with our kids because we had been in Florida and they closed down all the beaches and everything. So we just came on back. And and on that flight, there was a lady in front of me that was just coughing and wheezing up a storm. Mm. And um, she had no mask on, wasn't covering her mouth. And, you know, I don't I don't know if, if that's who gave it to me or, or not, but that's the only time I can remember being around somebody that I know was sick. Yeah. That's the, so, and those things are petri dishes anyway. When you get on an airplane, I, it's yeah, yeah, you're kind of a true. sitting duck. I, did you have any underlying health problems that complicated your COVID nineteen situation? Things that would have added to the sickness that you experienced? No, in fact, um, I've got a strong immunity system, and my lungs, you know, are are real strong from all the singing, and I'm I'm not diabetic, and you know, I, I have no underlying health problems, which is why it was so weird that this hit me so hard. Right. But my doctor told me, he said, if you weren't in decent shape, you'd be dead. He <sighs> said, there's no way you could have lived with this kind of blood work. And, and, and so I, I'm just, uh, I'm just very grateful. I, I, uh, I don't know. I just cannot explain why this happened, but you know, I sure learned a lot and I sure had, some amazing times of worship with the Lord. Oh, I can't imagine. You spend a lot of time by yourself with this thing. Sure. So it it does a number on you, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically as well. 
Well, that's, you know, when you were describing the early days when you were home before you were hospitalized and describing how you had an 103 fever for nine days. Last time I had 103 fever, I had the flu. That was years ago. Our entire mm-hmm. family got hit. And that was a story in and of itself, trying to take care of a bunch of little kids while I was <laughs> oh, yeah. really sick. And my husband was. So but fun. for nine days, I mean, at least with the flu, it's a few days, but nine yeah. and just going on and on. Did anybody mm-hmm. else in your house catch it? No, Janet, I, I don't know how to explain that either. But somehow, some way, my my 19-year-old son, my 20-year-old son, they're both home from college, and my precious wife, who took care of me every day, I, they stayed negative through this whole thing. I, I don't, there's no way to describe it except by the grace of God. Uh, and we're just grateful. But, yeah, it's the longevity of this thing that's so difficult because, you know, five, six, seven days in, you're thinking, good grief, how long can this last? And then nine days in, uh, unfortunately, it was just getting started. That's just crazy. Did they give you anything for it? Did they give you any of this hydroxychloroquine or anything like that? Well, yes, I did take two rounds of Z-Packs and that hydroxychloroquine or whatever it is. Yeah. I had two rounds of that, but, you know, in the hospital, all they gave me was some potassium pills and Tylenol when I requested it. Uh, when my fever would spike, they'd give me Tylenol. That that was it. I mean, I, the, the, mm. <laughs> bless their hearts, they tried to get an IV in me seven different times, and it never worked. Um, and, it, it, you know, I feel sorry for these hospital workers because they're they're on the front lines of this thing, and every time they walk in a room, they're at risk of catching it, you know. Yeah. And so they have all this garb on. And what people don't realize, Janet, is that every time they leave your room, they have to take all that garb off, put it in a trash bale, go outside your room, and put a whole new batch of that stuff on to yep. go to the next room. You can understand why. Oh, it oh. is. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to go to a quick break. We'll come back with Charles Billingsley telling his story of contracting and recovering from coronavirus. We're going to come right back on Janet Meffer today. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is creating funding difficulties for many of Preborn's clinics with canceled events which help fund the clinic operations. All the while this is happening, our clinics are seeing more and more women in unplanned pregnancies call us as sheltering-in orders have generated more unplanned pregnancies. Our call center is flooded with girls calling. Can you help us in this time of increased need? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To help a mom in need choose life, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call now. 855-402-BABY. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, praise God, Charles Billingsley recovered from COVID-19. You know, Charles, successful Christian singer. He's teaching pastor and worship leader at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, and adjunct instructor at Liberty University. And he is telling his incredible story of having had COVID-19 and living through it. And it doesn't sound, Charles, like you had a really easy time of it. It was very difficult. I'm curious to ask you, as you were talking about all of your symptoms and what went on, when you were in the hospital and they just gave you Tylenol, you know, Mm -hmm. some basic things. Were you ever put on a ventilator? Because there's been a lot of talk about whether or not the ventilators are actually working against the patients rather than actually helping them. Yeah, you know, I did everything I could to even keep from getting on oxygen. I just wanted to keep trying to strengthen my lungs on my own. And so they had me on a monitor and we were watching my oxygen. At one point it got pretty low. And she came in and almost put me on oxygen. But, you know, I never actually ever even went on oxygen. So I was a long ways from having to go on a ventilator. The reason I was there is because they told me that if I was to leave and suddenly I took a turn for the worse, and they say that can be kind of common, they said that I would not have time to make it back to the hospital, that I wouldn't make it. And so I was there as a precautionary reason. But I'll tell you, after three days, of basically nothing but Tylenol and sleeping on that uncomfortable bed with those horrible pillows. I, I just told the doctor, I said, look, I, I mean, I can do this at home. Right. And she said, well, we're not a prison, but at the same time, you need to know the risk. And I said, well, and it was the day before Easter and everything. And I just told her, I said, I, I think I'm willing to take that risk. Goodness. And so I, I left the hospital kind of at at, uh, at a little bit of risk with this oxygen level, but my my doctor brought over some oxygen, and, and, you know, thank God I never even had to go on it except for one night when it got pretty low, but that was it. And it sounds like you have a great doctor, too. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's awesome. He's one of my best friends, and he took great care of me. Oh, that's great. Did, was the hospital pretty full of COVID-19 patients? Because there have been a lot of reports that the hospitals are fairly empty right mm-hmm. now, in fact. Yeah, uh, that's very frustrating to me to hear that, you know, we've got all kinds of people that need surgeries and all kinds of stuff and they can't get them because we got a bunch of empty hospitals that, you know, because of the paranoia of this thing. And man, it's a hard balance to find because you want to protect people from this, but we also need to open up the country (laughs) and get these hospitals operating again with people who need the attention. I'll be honest with you, Janet. Um, I never saw another patient in that hospital. Mm. But then again, they they try to treat me kind of special here in town because it's a small town. And and so they kind of slipped me in the back door, slipped me right into my room. And then when I left, um, 
I didn't see another patient. So I'm sure there were probably other patients, but what, right now what I hear is there's only seven COVID patients in our region in the hospital right now as I speak. So Goodness. I don't think it's a high number. No, no. And I mean, praise God for that. But what was your relationship with the Lord like during all of this? Obviously, when you were lying there and, and so helpless in so many ways, you had a lot of time to, you know, yeah. sing to the Lord and pray and meditate on God's word. But how did it really kind of impact you spiritually as you were going through it all? Well, if I'll be honest with you. I mean, you, my emotions kind of ran the gamut. At first, I was not worried, not concerned, not afraid. Uh, I, I got. I started, though, after about nine or ten days, getting pretty anxious and frustrated. And I just kept asking the Lord to heal me. And then when I got in the hospital, man, it was just me and him for, for three days. And, you know, I just kept asking the Lord to heal me. And one night I was just convinced he was going to heal me right then and there. And it didn't happen. And, and I'll be honest with you, maybe it's just because I was so weak or, or frustrated or, or, or you know, my, my mind was um, playing games on me. But I, I got very frustrated with the Lord. I got angry. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But uh, it's the truth. And, um, you know, it just took me several days. And then I got under such conviction for being angry with the Lord hmm. for not doing what I thought he could do. And ironically, all this was happening on Thursday night before Easter. And I'll never forget being so frustrated with the Lord and then just sort of realizing that that's the same night 2,000 years ago where he spent the night in the house of Caiaphas and was beaten to within an inch of his life right. and uh, spat upon. And uh, it just, uh, it broke me <laughs> because I realized again, how much he's gone through for me. And I thought, man, how selfish of me to be expecting this. I'll let the Lord heal me in his own way and in his own time. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And he did. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm just grateful. But it just was a, a real powerful reminder to me of, of, of what the Lord has done for us by suffering and dying on the cross. Absolutely. Well, if he can do that for me, I can survive the COVID virus. Oh, my. That's that. You know, though, you're just being really honest. I mean, you think about what Job went through and Job's wife is saying, curse God and die. I mean, (laughs) you can understand people feeling very strongly and emotionally when you're in the grip of something horrible like you went through. And, you know, how kind the Lord is to bring you around to right thinking. Because honestly, when you're lying there with a high fever and double pneumonia and it's going on and on and on, anybody would be taxed to the limit from a human perspective. I mean, that's kind of how it seems to me. I was bothered. And it's funny, too, because it was on Good Friday and and I had a (laughs) I had this brand new record coming out. And here I am laid up in the hospital, (laughs) can't do a single interview, can't do anything. And I was just so frustrated. But, uh, you know, that's one one day I'll look back and and see his hand in all of this, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What's it been like for you since you got out of the hospital? Are you back to 100 percent or how are you doing, would you say, on a scale from zero to 100? Well, I mean, um, I'm thankful that I don't have the virus anymore, but I'm I'm probably about 70, 75 percent now. 
I still deal with a lot of coughing and a lot of this uh, double pneumonia in my lungs. And my doctor told me it's still going to take another week or two to kind of get that out. But um, my leg pain is way better. And, you know, the the worst part, I think, is I just got really weak. Um, I didn't, you know, do anything but sit in a, a chair or lay in a bed for four weeks. And so I just I lost. 25 pounds and mm. just kind of lost a lot of strength and a lot of energy. But um, I'm slowly working that back up and adding a couple minutes on the elliptical every day. And, <laughs> you know, even went out to the golf course uh, yesterday for a little while. So, Great. you know, just slowly but surely just getting back at it. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. <clears throat> I, well, how do you feel as a pastor about all of that's been going on? I'm sure you haven't been watching everything that's going on since you've been <laughs> dealing with this illness. But, you know, there are, there's been a lot of discussion about churches and religious freedom and government locking yeah. down churches. And how do you come down on that particular issue, having gone through what you've been through now? Well, it's real frustrating, you know, as a pastor to not be able to see or meet with our people. But I will say that as a whole, the church is functioning on more cylinders now than ever before. I mean, at Thomas Road, every week, we're reaching at least 30,000 people by way of internet and TV, and it's consistent numbers, too. And so, even though they're not in front of our face on Sunday morning, I think the impact and the outreach of many churches is stronger than it's ever been. And it's shocking how many churches uh, the giving is is staying consistent, and and uh, and so it's it's very encouraging to see the people of God really becoming uh, and acting like the church in their communities and in their neighborhoods and with small groups and things like that. But you know, there's nothing quite like the people of God worshiping together in the presence of God. And so I, I'm hoping and praying that as we begin to loosen up the rules, of course, I'm in Virginia, so we'll probably be the last state to do it. Yes, right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks to our governor. Thank but, you. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm so thrilled to see so many tex- like just, just places like Texas and Tennessee and Georgia, places just beginning to open up to where I'm praying that within two, three months, we'll all be at full strength in our rooms again and worshiping the Lord. Amen. I agree with you there. Uh, yeah, and we'll see how everything happens. What would you say to somebody who is maybe at the beginning point of your experience, somebody who is coming down with COVID-19? And uh-huh. I mean, I know it's kind of early on in the game, but looking back, what, what would you say to somebody about mm. what you ought to do when you start coming down with symptoms you think you will have COVID-19 or you may have COVID-19? You know, yeah. did you learn anything from your experience that you pass on to somebody else who goes through mm-hmm. it now? Well, I would just say buckle in and be patient because uh, this could go on a while. The other thing I would encourage people to do is not be afraid. I mean, this of all the diseases out there is uh, is probably one of the least dangerous as far as death goes. I mean, the death rate on this thing is very, very, very low, lower than the flu. And so the, I would encourage people, look, if you're if you've got symptoms, get checked out, get tested. But uh, don't let fear overtake you. We have no reason to fear, especially as a child of God. In fact, we even don't have an excuse to worry. When we worry, we're just basically telling God, you don't know how to handle this. Mm. And so, man, just don't fear. Don't worry. Take it a day at a time. Take your time and all. Get rest. And hopefully you can ride this thing out. But be careful with the lungs because it's that double pneumonia that really starts making this thing a little more dangerous than than your typical uh, virus. 
Yeah. Um, right. You know, so so be careful and watch it. But man, I certainly wouldn't be uh, paralyzed by fear of this thing. We we uh, we have so much more to live for, and 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 that's why I just am. I mean, I'm laying in a hospital bed wishing they'd open the country up because <laughs> you know it's just. Uh, I think we've we've gone a little overboard as a nation, honestly, yep. and become just strapped with paranoia. We really have. Well, Charles Billingsley, his new album, I Was Made For This. Great title, Charles. Pray for your continued recovery. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Janet. God bless you. God bless you, too. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Has coronavirus created a crisis for primary care doctors and their patients? A new article over at Vox outlines how COVID-19 is making America's healthcare access problems even worse as patients are cutting back on visits to their regular doctors and other specialists like ophthalmologists and even the ER. And elsewhere, Americans who are losing their jobs also are losing their private health insurance. What kind of impact will all these changes have on healthcare when this whole thing is over? And is there any hope on the horizon. We're going to get some thoughts on it now from Matt Bellis, Chief Communications Officer for Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, great to have you here. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Janet. Thank you for having me. Good. It's always nice when somebody replies right now, I'm doing great. That's music to my ears. I don't <laughs> want to hear anybody who's getting sick. You know, what are your thoughts on how this COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the entire healthcare sector, from the doctors to the patients to the insurance to even likely healthcare sharing ministries like Liberty HealthShare? Well, it's uh, as time goes on and we see the, uh, the actual uh, effect that uh, COVID-19 has had on the healthcare systems, uh, it, we are starting to see the effects of it in terms of not necessarily the virus, but what we have done to try and combat the virus. Yes. And, and so, you know, the, we start to get into an area where, you know, supply and what we're able to handle and what we've been able to do uh, does not necessarily correlate what we plan for. So we're in a position right now as a healthcare sharing ministry where we're just having to uh, uh, help as many people as we can, but in the actual process of getting them seen through doctors and hospitals, I think the availability for people to be seen is much greater than what has been touted. Yeah. So it has all thrown us for a loop, and it's something that we're all uh, very much concerned about uh, getting back to a level of normalcy. Uh, but as for those who are part of Liberty Health Share and healthcare sharing, for us, frankly, it's pretty much business as usual. We haven't had to do a whole lot in terms of preparing for uh, COVID-19. Uh, we were actually sharing in that as an expense because it is a medically necessary item. We didn't have to go through actuarial projections because that's not what we do at all. 
So we were in a very good, positive position to begin with, and we just want the rest of the medical community to get back to a level of normalcy as soon as possible. Well, that would be so nice. I, I saw a story in the news this week. There was a theater chain that was selling popcorn and cotton candy to try to raise money to pay for their employees' health insurance. And I thought, you know, it's so sad. It's so depressing to see businesses have to do something like that. But part of the problem, Matt, as we've discussed before, is that health insurance is so expensive. I mean, this this is part of the problem, isn't it? It really is, but it's also one of those things that we look at and say, it's interesting that when all else fails, people go back to a community spirit where they try to share in each other's needs. And yes. that's basically what we've done as a as a ministry. We've taken that spirit of sharing mutual aid, mutual cooperation, and systematized it. And when you have situations like you're talking about where people are trying to raise money as a community to help the people within their community, it tells me that we are tapping into the the thing that you would normally do whenever things were unexpected and unaffordable. Yes. So whenever all else fails, people resort back to sharing. And it's good to know that we are in a situation where we have systematized that, made that more effective and efficient, but really tapped into the basic nature of what we want to do as individuals, and that's share those medical bills. That's an excellent point. And, and something else that comes to mind is you're seeing a lot more stories of people who are losing their jobs, and when they lose their jobs, at least uh, in time, they lose their private health insurance. Can you give people an idea of how Liberty Health Share is an option that is in in so many of your customers' cases, a, a really good option when you can't afford your health insurance anymore or when you lose your health insurance because you've lost your job? Well, we've actually been in that situation now for a little while where people have been unfortunately been laid off or furloughed or uh, they can't afford uh, the other options that are out there for them. People have been signing up for Liberty Health Share and we're glad to have them. Uh, because we're not locally uh, specific, we're not bound to certain states, and the fact that we're not bound to a certain time period in terms of open enrollment, and we're not bound to all of the traditional measures that you need to ensure whatever you are a part of a third-party payment system, people are able to sign up for something that they truly want and need. Uh, it's kind of a novel idea, and it's really exposed the bureaucratic inefficiencies in our current third-party pay model where people are looking for more of a uh, private help rather than having to go through uh, a lot of different steps to receive payments for their health care. They'd rather just go out and take care of it on their own. And they're able to do that any time of the year without the oversight of uh, of their employer. So right. really, it's something that I'm frankly proud to be a part of because we've been an answer for so many people during a time of great turmoil. And frankly, like I said, it's no different than what we would normally do on a regular basis. It's We haven't had to change our practices as the healthcare sharing ministry to accept those during this uh, pandemic and issue. Right. Really, we've just been able to expand and allow for more people to uh, participate and uh, and bring people in rather than go through big changes to, uh, to try and upgrade our 
systems or try and get an active Congress to open up the, the health care marketplace. It really has been here for people all along, and we're just glad that so many people have been able to utilize it and recognize it. Yeah. Now tell people who are new to the health care sharing ministry model uh, how it all works. How, how is it different from private health insurance that you would get through a job? When you join Liberty HealthShare, what goes on? How do people get their bills paid? How do they get to see their doctors and go to their hospitals? Is it much different than the, the health insurance route? Well, in the way that people interact with healthcare sharing and how it operates, it is different because we're a group of individuals who have voluntarily gathered together to share medical expenses with one another. We're all each individually self-pay patients who have been given power of the purse strings back in our healthcare system. And so as a community, we're sharing in medical bills. We're not putting our money into a big giant pot or a community fund and, and hopefully go through a bureaucratic process to pull that money out whenever we actually need it. It's not like that at all. Whenever you go to the doctor or hospital, you just submit your Liberty HealthShare membership card. The doctor and hospital submits those bills to Liberty HealthShare on behalf of you. We then take that money and then assign a certain number of uh, individuals to share in your medical expenses for that particular month. And so we, as a, as a ministry, have been able to come together to share in medical expenses on a regular basis. Very simple, very easy. It really doesn't go beyond what people have normally been doing within healthcare. It just changes the administrative side so that you're not going through a third-party payer trying to get money through a system down a, a big, long black hole. Uh, this is individuals mutually sharing, mutually agreeing, and, uh, and working with one another to take care of one another's health care bills. Uh, so, and because we have done that, we've had lower cost, uh, greater access. You don't have to visit uh, a, a prescribed doctor. You can visit the doctor of your choice as long as, you're a, uh, as, long as they're good with you being a health care sharing ministry member. It really does uh, bring a lot of the costs down that we have seen in some areas, sometimes 50, 60, 70, 80 percent off of bill charges. So it's a different way of taking care of your health care bills uh, when people are, are what people have normally done through third-party insurance. But like I said, it's what you would normally do whenever you, became, whenever you uh, got into a situation that was unexpected and unaffordable. It would be your friends and family and neighbors that you would turn to in times of need. That's right. Well, and, and people are really seeing how well that works in a time of crisis right now when you see people who are sharing with one another and you see people who are, uh, you know, falling on harder times in some instances and having to turn to opti- op- better solutions, I should say, in so many different ways. And Liberty HealthShare can be checked out online. Just go to libertyhealthshare.org. Matt Bellis with us. As always, Matt, a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. Always a pleasure to be here. All right. You take care. We'll be right back. This is Janet Mefford. 
Did you know that persecuted believers are praying to receive their own Bible? Nepo is a pastor in Africa attacked while preaching by extremists, and he's praying for Bibles for former Muslims who are now following Christ. Ada was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Europe, but her godly witness led him to Jesus. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by witches in Latin America, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with them. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word and see many others come to faith? $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven Bibles, and through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's Word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or by clicking the Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. 800-YES-WORD. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. If you're a medical professional, here's a way to move from success to even greater significance. Mercy Ships has an urgent need for pediatric registered nurses. You'll be joining dozens of volunteer medical professionals who've been blessed by the opportunity. I think all nurses should do something like this. To serve the unserved is one of the most beautiful experiences. Get more information by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Mercy Ships, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. We're going to take a little bit of a corona break. I need a corona break, don't you? There's so much going on. I could fulfill all your dreams of coronavirus news, but you know what? We we need a break sometimes. So I want to turn my attention just for a couple of minutes to what is going on with the ERLC. Oh, yes. The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention headed up by the illustrious Dr. Russell Moore. Now, you might remember back in February, there was a big stink because the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention said they had heard anecdotal evidence that churches in the SBC are dis pleased with the ERLC because of their liberal tendencies, social justice warrior stuff, and general uselessness. So they've been withholding money from the cooperative program, which provides, I think, about 73% of the funding for the ERLC. So they voted to launch this task force to, to review the ERLC to see whether or not it is fulfilling its ministry assignment and whether or not its actions have actually affected donations to the cooperative program. And you'll recall what happened was the ERLC came back all indignant. Oh, we won't cooperate with this newly formed task force unless the denomination votes for an investigation at the annual meeting. And of course, we know now the annual meeting in June has been canceled because of coronavirus. So there is no annual meeting this year. Now, that's another subject you could have voting where you could actually go on with your business and do it on Zoom. But apparently this is a little too beyond what the SBC wants to do or could do. At any rate, that's the background to all of this. So somebody had noticed online and brought forward some of the numbers of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission budget. Now, this goes back to the most recent annual report of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
And it was a very interesting budget. Very interesting. I had not seen some of these exact numbers recently. Uh, but salaries and benefits, uh, t- total total amount of money projected for 2019 and 2020 when this came out was $4.3 million. And of that $4.3 million, $2.67 million was for salaries and benefits. You had $325,000 plus for travel. You had $197,000 for communications. You had $717,000 for events and strategic initiatives. But this was the real kicker. For public policy and research, they spent only $30,000. And it was pointed out that this amounts to 0.7% of its budget is actually spent on public policy and research. Does that seem a little weird for a group that is supposed to be tasked with ethics and religious liberty and public policy things? Now, it could be, in all fairness, that the salaries and the benefits generally are what is the, you know, the line in the budget that covers the people and the people are the ones who do the policy and so forth. It just isn't that great of a look. Uh, especially when we don't even know how much people are making. And that, that that continues to stick in the craw of a lot of Southern Baptists. At any rate, Russell Moore had come out with a video talking a little bit about his 2020 vision. And I thought I would play a little of this for you because the ERLC in the last several years, ever since a lot of us have been saying, why is there an ERLC and why in the world is Russell Moore head of it when he obviously is working against the interests of Southern Baptists on so many fronts? Um, but he came forward talking about the the great, great value of the ERLC. And I think at times it, it was a bit of a stretch, especially when he's not talking about the how he's spending the money. At any rate, I want to play a little bit of this for you. Listen to this part where he talks about helping the vulnerable. Cut one. You see, the vulnerable matter to Jesus, so they should matter to us. Sometimes this entails working across the country in state legislatures to help enact pro-life legislation. In others, it looks like working with the White House to ensure that adoption agencies are not forced to choose whether or not they will violate their consciences or abandon needy children. And in other cases, it's declaring in a world that uses migrants, including migrant children, as political punching bags, that the Church of Jesus Christ must take our cues not from talking heads on television, but from the living words of God in Scripture. Well, wait a minute. You're one of those talking heads on television, aren't you? I mean, you're on CNN, you're on MSNBC, you know, you're in the Washington Post. You're you're one of those talking heads. <laughs> Don't listen to those other talking heads. Listen to me. I'm the talking head you ought to be listening to. All that travel, $325,000 of travel. How many plane tickets is that? Do you ever drive anywhere? I like That just seems like an inordinate amount of money for travel. I would love to get some goods on that as far as how that was spent. And by the way, the, the ERLC is working on the vulnerability of migrants and migrant children being political punching bags. What are you talking about? And what what does that have to do with the Southern Baptist Convention other than that's your pet issue is open borders, migrants? No, they're illegal aliens. Can we go back to the original term? I'm sorry, but that's what the issue is. Illegal aliens, the rule of law, and how the Obama open borders crowd wants a globalist agenda for this country and wants to erode the sovereignty of the United States. So you needed to hear that. Oh, and also he talked about what they're doing on the issue of race. Cut to. That's why your ERLC, 
will not back down one inch when it comes to standing for racial unity and justice and reconciliation. We're proud to be partnering with LifeWay to produce curriculum for our churches on how we should apply the gospel to the issues of race. And we'll continue to provide resources that counter lies on these issues from uh, in a way that violates human dignity and the embodiment of that dignity in the church of Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what that really means? I don't. It's probably code. It's some kind of virtue signaling code that somebody somewhere is picking up on their antenna, but it's over my head. All I know is how much do you need to beat this dead horse? We all want racial reconciliation through the gospel, but it isn't that complicated. Yes, personal issues can be complicated, but they're just beating the social justice drum over and over and over and over. What do you have to show for it? Have you really reconciled people such that if there were some problems before them, uh, they actually solved them and forgave one another? And because they have their head, Christ Jesus, uh, they've, they've reconciled now and, and we can move on? Or is just, you know, the critical race theory just has to overtake the ERLC? That's the issue is the critical race theory, not the issue of racial reconciliation. Every Christian wants that. We're all going to be in heaven together as Christians. So, of course, we don't want to have any sort of irreconciliation here on earth. But they just, again, it's like beating a dead horse. Oh, what about religious liberty? Cut three. We also face assaults on religious liberty. It would have seemed unthinkable just a matter of years ago. Over the last year, we've worked with the Congress and with the White House to prevent Bibles from getting caught up in trade disputes, uh, to keep government from taxing church parking lots. We've combated well-intentioned legislation that would sacrifice uh, religious liberty. And we've combated egregious legislation that would threaten adoption agencies and healthcare providers from carrying out their callings to serve. Okay, did you notice what his top two issues were on religious liberty? Hey, they've been working on that really important issue of Bibles being caught up in trade disputes from China, by the way. And if memory is serving me correctly, there's some lifeway angle on that having to do with printing. But anyway, I won't get into that in particular because I don't have everything right in front of me. And taxing church parking lots. That's a very, very central gospel issue is whether, look, I'm not saying it's not important, but why do you need an agency working on taxing church parking lot like no one else can handle that except the ERLC there are no other you know congressmen or state legislators or uh, involved ministries that could address that issue none but they're your Paul Revere that's how he finally ends it the ERLC is your Paul Revere cut for we must be stewards of the inheritance of our Baptist forebears and every day that's exactly what your ERLC strives to be at the same time one of the jobs of the ERLC is to be a Paul Revere of sorts for our churches, running out ahead and alerting our churches and Christians and families of the dangers that could be coming and questions that could be considered, as well as opportunities that are on the forefront. Here's one issue where we've spent a great deal of energy, and that's artificial intelligence and social media and other aspects of technology. We've put together resources, events, and content that examine questions that the families of tomorrow will face, some of which seem nearly impossible to imagine today. Why don't you deal with the issues that people are dealing with today instead of talking about AI and robots? Nobody cares. I'm not saying that that's not an issue, but if you're going to talk about technology, why don't you talk about big tech censoring Christians? 
That might be a good issue to talk about. Why don't you talk about the fact that you've had a number of Christians have their books taken off Amazon because they said you actually can leave homosexuality behind. He's never going to touch that issue with a 10-foot pole, but that's what people are really going through. There's no demand for artificial intelligence ministry opportunity. Nobody's asking these questions, not because they're in the forefront as of Paul Revere, but because that's not what is on the plate for people. Why don't you talk about Drag Queen Story Hour and the impact of that, or parents losing custody of their kids who want to have gender transitions or or what about revoice you could talk about that or bible illiteracy instead it's the open borders it's the racial stuff no wonder jack graham from prestonwood baptist church thinks the erlc has outlived its usefulness as he told religion news service back in february i agree with them i I don't know why people are giving 4.3 million dollars to an agency that focuses on artificial intelligence and telling you not to listen to talking heads on tv Oh, well, we'll leave that for another day. God bless. We'll talk to you later here on GNMF for today.